Yes, Rover for Northeast Factory Direct. I've been telling you they have the lowest prices anywhere for years now. But now they're actually putting it in writing. They have a one-year best price guarantee. That's right. Alex, the owner, he must have gone crazy. If you buy a furniture or hot tub from Northeast Factory Direct and within one year you find it advertised for less, Alex will refund the difference. There's no gimmick to this. Just save a lot of money. West 140th in Cleveland, Lakeland Boulevard in Euclid, Freeway Drive in Macedonia, or shop online at northeastfactorydirect.com. This is Ed McMahon, and now, here's Armstrong and Getty. I don't, I don't think they're actually called poison rags. They're not Clorox poison rags. Well, we're trying to poison the bug. Cleaner right? disinfectant wipes is yeah, what they're called. Thank you very much. them poison rags. As we will wipe down our areas because who knows what kind of disease dripping rando was in here over the weekend touching things. Well, somebody was because uh, my computer asked me, would you like to sign on X? And I'm not X. I'm me. So huh? Some disgusting rando <laughs> typing on my keyboard with their disgusting COVID-covered fingers. <laughs> exactly. Live from Studio C. Season your dimly lit room, deep within the bowels, etc., etc. Today we're under the tutelage of our general manager. Oh, wow. You know what? I didn't even think of getting the general manager ready for today. Yeah. Division. He's wordy. So I know what Matt Taibbi. Okay, yeah. We're going to talk a lot about uh, a particular article that came out over the weekend about the state of journalism. and, the, the, and yeah. Oh, boy. I got so much on that. Here, but, here's a preview if you have to tune out. Journalism sucks. <laughs> um, uh, back to the COVID thing, just since we were talking about it, and I now I'm covered in, uh, in Clorox and smell like. Yeah, yeah, that's probably worse for me than a dang uh, Chinese bat fever. Just covering yourself in bleach. It's it's. Uh, uh, hand me hand me that jar. I need to drink some of it down. Oh, I jeez, I drank nothing but aquarium cleaner over the weekend. Mm. Hot, so I drank it on ice. It was hot this weekend, so I make it a summer drink. Yeah, just blended or on the rocks, and I, I cut it with slice. That's nice. You know, I was I, still a mixer over the weekend. I was learning to make sure. old fashions with bleach instead of bourbon. Um, but so I am uh, a month ago, and for several months, I walked out of my car with uh, either wearing a rubber glove or um, napkins in my hands to open the doors and press the button on the elevator. And come up here, and then I would do the same on the doors coming in. I had one hand I would use for my key and my stuff, and then I used my gloved hand to open the door. All this sort of stuff. Come in here, wipe everything down. Now I'm doing none of that. I'm just, you know, none of that. I'm going back to pre-life. Yet, scientifically, if I'm going to, you know, follow the science of it, there's more random people working in the building now as people are coming back. And Uh the cases are up uh, in the state. So, scientifically... 
I've got it completely backwards, I think. How's and that it, whole, uh, you can't get it off surfaces, or it's extremely unlikely to get it off surfaces? That What's is, the, the current well, science on that? The, Does anybody know? That's the latest thing they're telling us. You, you do have the caveat of they've been wrong about everything at every step and changed their mind. There's that. Um, but just in terms of the virus being around, I've done it completely backwards, and so has much of the nation. It's weird. We just... We went into full lockdown, we got really careful and everything like that, and then we all just decided as a country, you know, I'm kind of tired of this, Mm. and and then just stopped. And I don't know, unlike a lot of the world, I don't have a political dog in this fight when it comes to the coronavirus. I'm not trying to make it seem worse or better for any political reasons. Right. I just, I wonder what's going on, and uh, actually we're going to play some clips from an epidemiologist who was on Fox News Sunday yesterday. I thought it was the most interesting guy I've seen in a while because he seemed to be real straight about it. And his main thing was we got, I forget the numbers, but they're roughly this. We got 22 states where it's up. We got 21 states where it's down and eight states where it's flat. He said, I have no idea what's happening. Oh, boy. Um, he said, we just got to wait and see. We don't know what's going on. But he's a, he's a cab driver, he said, right? <laughs> Now, he's one of the nation's leading epidemiologists. Uh-oh. Now, usually the shows, you know, depending on their political view, find somebody to say, ah, it's over, it's overblown, always was, or it's worse than it's ever been, and Trump's making it worse with right. his rhetoric. Oh, um, but uh, I liked this guy's thing. It was just, we, there's no, we have no idea. Some states are up, some states are down. There's really no rhyme or reason to it based on the, you can't tie shutting down or opening up to it. And That's not what they told me on NPR this morning, and, Jack. And his thing oh, was so terrible. And his thing was, and I, he said, this isn't going away until about sixty to seventy percent of the population has had it, because mm-hmm. that's the way viruses work. It has to get to a certain number before it just, you know, it can't find somebody to land on, and then it goes away. That's the right. way they work. That's what's going to happen here at whatever timetable the virus does it. Until we get to sixty to seventy percent of the population getting it, it's it's it it it'll just keep doing what it's doing, unless of course there's a vaccine. So we're back to flattening the curve. Yeah, it sounded or, like we're trying this. to be part of the lucky thirty percent that never gets it. I suppose. Yeah, it's uh, the, the, some of the numbers out of Arizona are are troubling. I am, I mostly care about Arizona one because I I know some fine Arizonans, including my own parents and. And other people. But um, I was just there for five days, uh-huh. you know, and I was exclaiming regularly, it's like it never even happened here. I mean, there's <laughs> nothing going on. Right. I'm walking into restaurants. We stayed at a hotel. We swam in a pool. There was a hot tub. But people everywhere. It's like the, the, it's like <sighs> had a glass dome over the top. Hotel hot tub. Well, now <laughs> it's exploding in coronavirus cases. <laughs> so I don't know. And I and so I have concern that listeners are like, oh my God, they're talking about the coronavirus. I got to find something else to listen to. Yeah, and that's but the, but I'm as, with them. But as a, <laughs> good luck, <laughs> good scan around, but to see what else you land on. You prefer race baiting? <laughs> um, yeah, oh boy. But um, but but you know the point is it is true. The virus is not the virus isn't watching cable news, <laughs> whether to help Trump or hurt Trump right. or or whether the ratings are up or interest is up on coronavirus because we're. We're fed these polls to try to determine what to talk about. And polls show people are getting tired of talking about it. Okay, but the virus doesn't care about that. Well, all right. And I have some concern that, and and this guy said the same thing everybody's been saying last week, which we said over and over. This is not, it's coming back, second phase. No, the first phase hasn't ended yet. Right, it's early. We're at the very beginning. Right. Yeah. How are we all going to get this into our heads? Well, yeah, but the question, I've moved on to the real question, which is how do you respond to the reality you described? And as often happens, everybody divides into the little camps. 
The uh, nakedly progressive radio is comparing and contrasting Arizona and its relative openness with uh, Oregon, which continues to have Portland, especially in some of the suburbs, really, really shut down. Other parts of the state are, are more open. And the report, of course, said, well, what is what does the governor say about her response? Well, she's relying on doctors and science. Of course, like that, that stupid mantra of the unthinking on lefty media. And... And she says, I know it's particularly painful for the businesses who thought they were going to open tomorrow, but we need to do this. Do we need to do this? Show me the history. And this disease is an awful son of a bee. I mean, it's terrible. Uh, to, to the people who get a severe case, it's, it's torturous. It's horrible. Um, but there is no history of shutting down the country to avoid viruses. I mean, you quarantine the sick and the vulnerable. The rest of us go about our business and keep our fingers crossed. There's a reason we've always, always done that. It's because you can't k- commit economic suicide. I'm going to need to see the data on this finger-crossing technique here. <laughs> well, it's about as good as a lot of what we've gotten from uh, the WHO. I was playing tag with my kids yesterday, and it seems to be it seems to make you immune from becoming it, at least when we were playing tag. <laughs> What's that? What makes you immune? Crossing your fingers. Oh, really? Is that, yeah. is that like their timeout? Some sort of it's got to do with the whole cheese touch. I think I talked about that cheese in the past. Touch. The cheese touch. I've talked about that in the past. That's a thing that comes from Diary of a Wimpy Kid, and somebody in the all school right. has the cheese touch. Oh, and that that lasts all summer long. Like oh you can, no, you can see somebody at a grocery store and and give them the cheese touch. But if they have their fingers crossed, they're inoculated against. Oh, it. thank cheese, goodness. See, cheese touch seems to be every bit as bad as the coronavirus. I should have studied uh, science in school. <laughs> So you know about the cheese I don't, touch. I, I'm ignorant of this stuff. If you yeah. have a fourth grader, they know about the cheese touch. Oh, boy. Um, let's introduce everybody in the squad. There's our board operator, Michelangelo, pressing buttons, flipping toggles, pulling levers. Hi, this morning, Michael. Uh, speaking of cheese, Chuck E. Cheese appears to be going out of business. Oh, really? Yeah. Did American tragedy. Were they going down anywhere? Did the well, corona apparently, kill them? they're close to a billion dollars in debt, according to what I'm reading here. And uh, it doesn't say whether the corona... I uh, killed him or not, but that's not a good sign. Yeah, well, the ball pit was not a good place for the coronavirus to just, oh, you know, kind of settle at the bottom with the other goo and ferment. No. Grow. CEO's a rat. Who made that decision? <laughs> no, but I played a lot of skee ball as a kid at Chuck E. Cheese. I'm not sure I've ever, with all the jokes and commentary, I don't know if I've ever actually been in a Chuck E. Cheese. Oh, I have. It was, you're, you're the right generation, your kids, for it being the place you're going to do birthday parties and stuff, right? Yeah, tended a handful there. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it has beer. So, oh, well, that, that's a that's a game changer. So there's something for everyone. Yeah. The kids like playing the video games and the rest of it. The, the pizza wasn't half bad. Here's ten dollars. Right. Play some more skee ball. Right, exactly. Now that's why you occasionally, more than occasionally, had dads getting into fist fights. Yes. <laughs> You'd sit there, clang, clang, the clang, clang, clang of the machines and everything. And after a number of beers, somebody says the wrong thing. All of a sudden, you're throwing dogs in front of your kids. It happens. Some kids at the bottom of the ball pit rolling around in Corona and Ebola. Oh, and Ebola. <laughs> I mean, Chuck E. Cheese was the founder. He's probably fine. He's got money in the bank. What sure. about Jasper Jangles and, and, and Mr. Munch? The rest of his band, the animatronic band. Charles yeah. Edgar Cheese will not even return their phone calls. Right. Well, he wrote the songs. He got all the money. <laughs> There's Positive Sean, whose smile lights up the room. How are you, Sean? Doing very well. Now, I need you guys to be on the record right now. Are you Team Chaz or are you Team Chop? We got the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone or the Capitol Hill Occupying Protest. They're now Chop. 
Now, is Chop considered the? It's a street party, and Chaz the the country that's violent, or which one's which? Uh, I I don't know. Okay. All I know oh, is that there are two the sides. Yeah. yeah, they're arguing over the name. Oh, they are. Okay, they, I thought it was a media thing. No, no, no. They, they there are. Uh, well, th- this this young burgeoning society they discovered a ladder over the weekend, and the two sides. There was much disagreement on which side got to use the ladder to put up which signs. Which signs got to come down? I really need David Attenborough to narrate these <laughs> these videos, like it's a, a young burgeoning like society just right. coming from nothing and, and seeing all these obvious you know uh, potential bear traps and pitfalls of a society. Uh, one of the alpha males has discovered a tool, but this will not rest well with the other alpha males. Yes. <laughs> oh man, there, there lots of videos of, of various uh, just these the, this Chaz place. It's, oh, it's yeah. fascinating. I, I enjoy the heck out of them all weekend long. Yes. I can't talk about that enough, and we will. Uh, I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty on this Monday, June 15th, the year 2020. We're Armstrong and Getty, and we approve of this program. Let's begin the show officially now, according to FCC rules and regulations. Here we go at Mark. I think that what we have here today is we not, we're not sure what's happening. Uh, we have 22 states where we have cases increasing, 8 where it's level, and 21 states where it's decreasing. And I think that what we're really talking about here now is uh, what does reopening do? What did the protests do? And we just have to be humble and say we, we're, not, we're in an unsure moment right now what's happening in this country. Well, I'm, I'm happy. You know, if that's true, I'm glad somebody's saying out loud instead of acting like you have all the answers. I'm relying <clears throat> on science and the doctors. Uh, more on that <clears throat> later. How, how is mail bag? Oh, it's outstanding. It's a sprawling epic. All right, we got to catch up on Chaz and the protests and everything else that's going on in the country. Our text line is 415-295-KFTC. is that so what's that from that's from i remembered in the little pre-show meeting we have that there was a uh, a cologne called chaz Chaz. back in the 80s and it's about freedom and doing what you want well it's a perfume commercial like what's johnny depp bearing jewels in the desert for nobody knows it's a perfume commercial what is any cologne about freedom attracting a mate i suppose doing what you want (laughs) Chaz. chaz it's a great feeling we got to talk more about Chaz. The fact that they have border walls. Yes. The fact that they're going to have voting to pick a president, but they're going to check IDs to make sure you're a member of Chaz. I know. I mean, it's some of the greatest comedy I have ever seen in my life. I spent the weekend, you know, following various Twitter Twitter feeds that were showing videos and people fighting and arguing and. Oh, we have one coming up where all the white people were made to pay somebody black $10 a pop. Uh, very nice. Mailbag. Oh, wow. A little slack there. A little lax. I was going to hit Chaz one more time. A little too much weekend. Oh, <laughs> Chaz. Chaz. Uh, Ken uh, sent along a freedom-loving quote of the day from Eric Hopper in his well-regarded book, The Temper of Our Time, who observed every great cause begins as a movement becomes a business, and eventually degenerates into a racket. 
So true. Hmm. Let's see. This is uh, Matthias from Wolfsburg, Germany. Oh, God, I wish I lived in Wolfsburg. What yeah, a no great kidding. name for a town. Hey, uh, Matthias, do they have, um, like, a university there or, or Wolfsburg High School or something like that? I, I want to buy their swag. Anyway, oh, he sends along the link to uh, Fox News reporting on a Monty Python joke is news, which is pretty amusing. Then he says, Joe, how many deaths in the first 36 hours in Chaz? Because I predicted there would be a death by the time mm. 36 hours. I don't think there was. There are plenty of beatings, though. There are people beaten unconscious, Mateus. you got to give me partial credit. And then he says, although I couldn't agree less with you politically, I'm still a huge fan. Even bought a hoodie and T-shirt to represent here in Europe. Thanks, brother. Mm. Appreciate that. Hope things are good in Deutschland. Wolfsburg or whatever the name Ar- is. Lou from La writes, Morning, fellas. I was wondering if we had decided on Chazakstan as the proper name for the occupied region in Seattle. May I suggest Chasmania for the area being occupied, Chasmanian for the residents and the state animal, of course, the Chasmanian devil. Uh, is this what passes for uh, humor where you live? <laughs> the Chasmanian devil. That's terrible. Governor Inslee was asked about it over the weekend, and he either did or feigned that he had never heard about it, and he'd have to get back to it. <laughs> That's so good. Well, he didn't know what to say about it. Oh, yes. How about Jake? If all you have to do to create a new state like Chaz in Seattle is take it, why don't we do that with Southern Oregon and Northern California and just create the state of Jefferson? That's a, for folks around the country. That's a long-time movement to separate the rural uh, areas of those two states into a new state. Maybe we've taken the wrong tack by trying to create a state the legal way. I doubt we'd be called a block party and ignored by the national media, though. You guys are awesome. You're awesome, Jake. At least you didn't make any Chasmanian devil jokes. So we don't have a lot of time, do we? None of us do. Uh, wow. 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 Chief Dark Cloud. Out, out, just this moment. Out, out, brief candle. Uh, Mike, uh, <laughs> Mike suggests that various cities around the nation export all their bums and junkies to Chaz. Oh, Give them bus tickets right now. There you go. You're headed Chaz. to Chaz. Where am I going? You're headed to Chaz. Chaz. What's Chaz that's, now? That's a great idea. Up. Mike and Roseville, good call. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. There's a sense of mission as they slam Trump, embrace Black Lives Matter, and now demand apologies and resignations if their bosses allow opposing views any daylight. There are still many journalists, perhaps derided as old-fashioned, who believe, as I do, that for all our many flaws, fairness and balance are our highest values. But these latest developments that the New York Times and elsewhere suggest we are losing to the social justice warriors in what I view as a battle for the soul of journalism. Wow. It uh, was a heck of an interesting weekend. I don't think it's a coincidence that Howard Kurtz, formerly the Washington Post, now of Fox, um, and his show that's all about the media says we're in a battle for the soul of journalism. He is an, uh, a guy who's been around a long time, horrified that what's go- about what's going on in journalism. He, he, the same weekend, opened his show with that little screed. Rather than his normal show open, he wanted to give a little speech about the state of journalism. The same weekend that Matt Taibbi writes a long piece about journalism coming off the rails, 
and Glenn Greenwald does. The only problem I uh, have with it, and we're going to get into that, but the biggest problem I have with that is these are all people over the age of 50. And uh, as I heard a commentator, an NPR commentator on Howard Kurtz's show say yesterday, he's an older Hispanic guy from NBR, and he said, it's not black and brown, it's not left and right, it's a, a, a generational thing. That's Clearly. what's going on here. Clearly. And it's that's interesting. I missed Glenn Greenwald's piece. I assume it's uh, fairly similar to, to Matt Taibbi's and its conclusions. You know, it's funny. I'm, I'm contemplating uh, for Father's Day sending a message to my kids. And we don't talk about politics much, number one, because I talk about it all day long. And number two, they can do it. They, I've taught them to be independent thinkers. And if they happen to go temporarily, I hope, in a direction I don't love, um, that's their right. But I am going to beg them to reject the tool of tyrants, which is silencing opposition. It's, it is morally and politically indefensible on any level in saying it's not free speech, it's hate speech. That's just the latest excuse by the latest tyrants. That's, that's like the only thing I care about is they reject that insidious, poisonous thinking uh, and, and, and acting, which is what we're talking about right now. Let me read you just a little bit. This is kind of the, uh, this is the, um, I don't know, this is the pull you in. This is like the trailer to the very long Matt Taibbi piece. He's a guy who writes for Rolling Stone. What was he writing about last week we were so excited about? I think it was of a similar theme. Yeah. He's really on the warpath on this. Here's your teaser. Among self-described liberals, we're watching an intellectual revolution. It feels liberating to say, got to point out, he's he's a super lefty. Yeah. Um, but he's 50 years old and he's been around a while. And like Howard Gertz, he's seeing standards that have existed forever among lefty liberal with a small L journalists just go away. It's now us or them. We're part of the resistance. Facts don't matter. We're out to win this thing rather than reporting. Anyway, and significantly, anything that is against me is racism, no matter who I am and what I'm saying. Among self-described liberals, we're watching an intellectual revolution. It feels liberating to say after years of tiptoeing around the fact, but the American left has lost its mind. It's becoming a cowardly mob of upper-class social media addicts, Twitter Robespierre's who move from discipline to discipline, torching reputations and jobs with breathtaking casualness. That's a French Revolution reference. Yeah, at, at least, least so it, far, yeah. it's about torching reputations and uh, jobs and not people and houses mostly yes. although we're seeing a lot of businesses yeah yeah i like the next paragraph too if you're uh, if you're in the mood oh, okay i will the leaders of this new movement are replacing traditional liberal beliefs about tolerance free inquiry and even racial harmony with ideas so toxic and unattractive that they eschew debate moving straight to shaming threats and intimidation they are counting on the guilt-ridden, self, self-flagellating nature of traditional American progressives who will not stand up for themselves and will walk to the razor voluntarily. Boy, that's so good. And then he gives a bunch of terrific examples of, of people's reputations and careers just being torched over the slightest, touchiest uh, violation of the mob's brand-new ethics. 
All right. Um, this madness is now coming for journalism. Beginning on Friday, June 5th, a series of controversies rocked the media. By my, my count, says Matt Taibbi, at least eight news organizations dealt with internal uprisings. It was likely more. Most involved groups of reporters and staffers demanding the firing or reprimand of colleagues who'd made politically problematic editorial or social media decisions. The New York Times, The Intercept, Vox, The Philadelphia Inquirer, Variety, and others saw challenges to management. And we went through some of those, including the, the, the most famous, and I think the one that really bothered a lot of uh, actually liberal lefty journalists is what happened with the New York Times. And a, a sitting senator writing a piece about uh, the protests and the New York Times choosing to publish it. The publisher and the guy who's in charge of the uh, editorial page, the opinion page, chose to publish it. Then an uprising from the young class there at the New York Times, and they cowardly backed down. They fired the editorial uh, guy. And I think the, he quit. Well, yeah. he had no choice. Yeah, well, he was humiliated. He, he, yeah, yeah. He, he was run out of the business. Yeah. And, uh, and the publisher apologized for doing that. Now, over the weekend, I thought, oh, I'll think, oh let's check in on the, uh, the op-ed section of the New York Times over the weekend. They ran all kinds of, of pieces about Trump being Hitler and anybody who's, you know, everybody's a racist who not, and not an anti-racist. They're fully involved in an extreme view of this sort of stuff. Right. And But claimed that we're, we're going to have more middle-of-the-road columns from here on out. Mm. Well, that, that's obviously not the case. No, no. They are afraid of their own newsroom. At this point, it's unbelievable. And it will escalate into more violence soon. Uh, You know, some of the online get him. Like, for instance, this uh, young reporter from Intercept, Lee Fong. He's he's a solid journalist, has uncovered uh, campaign finance violations on right-wing PACs. Uh, He's well thought of, left-leaning guy. And all he did was tweet an interview with a black man who described having two cousins murdered in East Oakland. Uh, Max talks about how the family's not over those deaths, and and, and he asks, uh, you know what? what's interesting is I shouldn't even have to tell you what this guy said about his own life and his own family, but Lee Fong of Intercept tweeted, I did this interview, and several of his co-workers didn't like what the black guy said and then accused Fong, who's Asian... Um, of being a racist for even publishing the interview, and it, it went crazy online. He was forced to craft a on-his-knees apology that was carefully worded. He's a talented writer. Um, uh, he apologized for the insensitivity to the lived experiences of others. And according to a friend of his, it's been made clear to Mr. Fong that if he wants to keep his job, he needs to avoid comments that may upset colleagues. So he just he can't report anymore. He can't be an independent journalist anymore. Because if a single colleague says, that was problematic, that was not anti-racist, so it's racist, he's done. He has no job. Well, the new op-ed editor at the New York Times, Kathleen Kingsbury, she's in charge now. She issued a staff direct a directive at the New York Times telling employees they now have a veto over anything that makes them uncomfortable. Anyone, and this is a quote, anyone who sees any piece of opinion journalism, headlines, social posts, photos, that gives you the slightest pause, please call or text me immediately. Great, Scott. So if there's an opinion in the New York Times opinion section that you don't agree with, can't be in the paper. 
That's that's the opposite of what have they been doing forever at the New York Times. Well, uh, actually, he has a uh, Tybee has a line on that where he says something along those lines. Um, well, while you're looking for that, I'll yeah. just say Lukianoff and Haidt were right when they wrote the the coddling of the American mind that we are teaching mental illness to our children and young adults, and we are now seeing the flower of that bitter, terrible plant. Well, the two episodes we just named and many others, according to Matt Tybee, all these episodes set a signal to everyone in the uh, newspaper business, in journalism, which is already shedding jobs at an extraordinary rate, that failure to tow certain editorial lines can and will result in the loss of your job. Perhaps additionally, you could face a public shaming campaign in which you will be denounced as, denounced as a racist and rendered unemployable. You'll not only lose your job at some of the biggest publications in the world if you if you have something that you know bothers anybody who works there, you may be rendered unemployable. Yeah, which is obviously just incredible. Oh, he called it a dramatic reversal for a newspaper that long cast itself as the national paper of record. I would say. Yeah, yep. You know what's really weird? I hate to get off on the, you know, get away from the main thrust of the thing, but Taibbi in his piece points out that the Times in reporting on all of this started misreporting the facts of the story, partly to cover its own ass and partly because the journalists involved were of that super activist bent. And so they misdescribed the Tom Cotton editorial in their own paper as it was calling for the use of force against the uh, protesters when it wasn't. It said, we have got to have a show of force, restore order. It didn't. And so, weirdly, the paper is now turned against itself. And like some poor, beaten, half-to-death uh, defendant in a Maoist show trial is on its knees saying, yes, I defame the Communist Party. Yes, I am a counter-revolutionary. Yes, I am a bad person. It's just so sick. Some of the greatest thinkers, liberals of uh, in, in American journalism are saying the left has lost its mind. Yeah, Bill Maher. And this is dangerous. God, I wish Christopher Hitchens was still alive. He'd be eating this stuff up. And he was the kind of, kind of guy that could turn a withering phrase in such a way that would have... Uh, Embarrassed the New York Times, perhaps. Oh, it would have echoed, echoed in the halls of power. But where put down the cancer sticks, old traditions. Where the, where this is going, I can't even imagine. It's not going anywhere good, unless unless obviously there was a huge, you know, we've gone too far. But that's that's the opposite of what is happening. They're firing the people who are raising their hands and saying, "Well, look, we have to be able to per, uh, have in our newspaper a column from a sitting senator." advocating a policy, then let's run an op-ed next to it uh, describing why we think it's a bad idea. No, you can't have it at all. Right. And anybody who put it in there needs to go. You need to be fired. You can't even be employed here. It's, I, don't, I don't know where this is headed. And it's, it's how, and I'm going to talk about this later, it's complicated, but this idea that we've moved into uh, the world, or at least American culture, has become postmodern. We're into an age of narrative. We're going away from... Actually going away from science and facts and, and everything that was the Enlightenment for like 400 years. And go, we're, we're moving away from that. Right. Back to evil spirits and, and, and odd religions. And conspiracies. And you just you, you make up stuff or only pick out stuff that backs up your point of view. And you will stone somebody who, co- who points out, well, that's not exactly right. Right. Uh, on either side. So far from turning Afghanistan into a Jeffersonian republic, we're turning the United States into Afghanistan. 
Nice. Anyway, we got more on that later, um, and your your thoughts would be interesting in our text line, 415-295-KFTC. I'll tell you what I want to get to soon, speaking of whether it's fake news or not. Did Trump reveal he's got health problems over the weekend? Ah. Coming down the ramp. Ramp gate. <laughs> After giving a speech at West Point, was it? Yes. He came down a ramp. I've just read it described as it looks like his health is failing him. I haven't looked at the video yet. We're going to watch the video live. And then the president tweeted about it. Yes, with the funniest thing he's ever said in a tweet. Plus live updates from Chaz. (laughs) All on the way on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Head-spinning news cycle. Well, it's been a head-spinning news cycle for years, but it's at a pace now that seems makes a year ago seem like it's the 50s. <laughs> but you had another police shooting over the weekend in Atlanta. The Wendy's was burnt down where the shooting occurred over the weekend. The police chief has resigned. To police. Why in the world are you burning a Wendy's? Wendy didn't do anything. Anyway, we all probably ought to talk about that later. You have two black men that committed suicide over the weekend in California, hanging themselves, but it's being portrayed as possible lynchings by some with no evidence whatsoever that they're lynchings. Yeah, great. But uh, yeah, that's not going to help anything, so we ought to get into that. But first, something kind of fun. President Trump walking down a ramp. <laughs> Social media was a buzz about a 25-second video of President Donald Trump descending a ramp after he gave a speech at West Point over the weekend. He gave the commencement address where they, uh, you know, where the West Point cadets do their thing. He didn't exactly go down the ramp Gangnam style, it says here in Forbes. Instead, he walked down the ramp fairly carefully. That led to lots of speculation about Trump's health on social media. Uh, and whether or not, you know, he's got some sort of health problem. I haven't watched him walk down the ramp yet. We're going to watch the video together here, and then I, we'll get I to... I was about to this weekend, and you said we should do it live, so I, <laughs> I have not watched it. And we'll watch it here on the air, and then we'll read you President Trump's tweet after it became a controversy. So Trump is about to walk down the ramp after giving his speech. Okay, He's uh, walking quite carefully, as you would if you were 74 years old, as he uh, was as of yesterday. Um, uh, unless something that's, else happens, that's, that's an older fellow walking down a ramp. Yeah, that's a seventy. In dress shoes. Yeah, that's, dress that's shoes. a seventy-four-year-old man. That's my mom or dad walking down a ramp in uh, dress shoes. Right, is what that is. Um, you don't walk. I don't walk down a ramp like that. But I'm not seventy-four years old. Uh, he was turned seventy-four yesterday. Anyway, Donald Trump's tweet is among my favorite things he's ever tweeted. The ramp I descended after my West Point commencement speech was very lo- speech was very long and steep had no handrail, and most importantly, was very slippery. The last thing I was going to do is fall, in quotes, for the fake news to have fun with. Final ten feet, I ran down to level ground. Momentum! Exclamation point. <laughs> I think ran might overstep what he did in the final ten feet, but yeah, he clearly picked up his pace and looked <laughs> but, jaunty. But him saying, momentum! <laughs> that might be the funniest one word he's ever tweeted. <laughs> Is he is that an allusion to his political wins or just the physics? Oh my God, is he just that's referring funny. to the physics? 
Uh, ramp hashtag Rampgate was trending on trending on Twitter all weekend. All right. Long. All right. Twitter. Stop it with Twitter. Twitter. Stop it with Twitter. <laughs> because we need something to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. You know, one of my favorite tweets over the weekend. It was one of those blatant attempts to get retweets and mentions and whatever. But uh, somebody said, "Does your life look like the news?" And, of course, with only one or two exceptions, everybody answered, no, not in the slightest. Things are fine here, or we're dealing with whatever, and there's really no problem, or we don't talk about this stuff, or or what have you. The news is a bizarre fisheye lens or, or funhouse mirror version of America. And it's it's a shame because a lot of people, particularly soft-headed, educated liberals, uh, take it in and, and become utterly convinced that what they're getting out of Chris Cuomo is, is the way the world really works. I don't watch the news. That's a good idea, son. That's a good decision. Um, I can support that. I am, I'm becoming more convinced that mathematically the best amount of news to take in every day is 10 minutes. And that anything beyond that, and there's actually studies that show the more news you take in, the less informed you are. Right. Because you, you you know more, but a lot of what you know is wrong. Yeah. So you're therefore less informed. I have the perfect example of that. I just want to make sure. Momentum! I, a... <laughs> I want to make sure I... Uh... <laughs> That's fantastic. Oh, boy. Yeah, um... Yeah, interesting. I hope I'm capable of walking down a ramp like that at all when I'm 74. A lot of people aren't. So, this is uh, this is a great example of what I'm talking about. Uh, all your mainstream, lame-stream media outlets are reporting that the killing of the man in uh, Atlanta by police has been declared a homicide. Everybody's reporting that. It's their headline. Well... It depends what county you're on and what dictionary you look at, but homicide is the act of one human killing another. His life was taken by another human. It was not a suicide. It was not an accidental death. It was not natural causes. Now, some would say that So all homicides aren't crimes, then? No. Some would say it means unlawful, but in the coroner business... Most coroners, that just means, yes, his life was taken by another human being. But the headline is always homicide, as in it's a deliberate murder. Not so. Armstrong and Getty.